Hello, my beautiful people. We're going to continue with Killer Choice, Chapter 3. Killer Choice, Chapter 3. Gary and Beth Foster lived in a ranch house with two small bedrooms, an even smaller kitchen, and a living room filled with a sad ensemble of giveaways and Craigslist purchases. A starter home, the realtor called the house 14 years ago when they bought it. A house to live in for a few years, build up some equity, then sell to raise a family in a more spacious house. More than a decade later, they still remain in their starter home. On the morning after they returned home from the hospital, Gary and Beth sat at their kitchen table. Beth's chair was pushed back a few feet, the upper curve of her belly just visible over the tabletop. A Detroit Tigers mug filled with coffee was in front of Gary. A glass of orange juice was in front of Beth, and bowls of Cheerios in front of them both. They were doing more looking at their breakfast than eating. Can you give me a ride at 10? Beth asked. I'm going to head to yoga class. Gary glanced up from his Cheerios. Yoga? I think so, Beth said. Not to work out? When it's over, I'm going to give the kids the news. I'm going to tell them about the brain tumor. You ready? Yeah, I thought about it all night, and I think it's time. They plan on telling their close friends yesterday instead. They spent the evening alone in the house, just the two of them, trying to make sense of it all. When they weren't crying... They'd search online for as much information as they, f- they could find. Goroblastomy, a treatment, brain tumor remedies, odds of goroblastomy, survival. Everything they read only reiterated the depressing, dismal news Dr. Doretta gave them earlier. The cancer spread fast. 85% of people diagnosed with glioplasma, I'm sorry, glioblastoma, didn't make it a year. It was rare, extremely rare, for patients to survive longer than five years. But the situation wasn't hopeless. They found a blog from someone who had lived for 20 years since being diagnosed with glioblastoma, a message board post from another survivor who was diagnosed 10 years ago. Various articles about new treatments that doctors were encouraged by. I just don't know what to say at yoga class, Beth said. How do you tell people about something like this? Just to be honest, upfront, direct. I suppose so. I have to tell everyone at some point. Might as well do it now. Beth carried her bowl of Cheerios over to the sink and rinsed it out. She's gazed out the small window over the countertop out at the front yard. It will be good to get out of the house, she said. There's nothing to do here but sit around and feel sorry for myself. Think about things I don't want to think about. Otto sat in a diner a few blocks from his pawn shop. The interior of the diner was shabby and worn down, with a few old Coca-Cola signs and sun-faded pictures hanging from the walls. Long strips of duct tape were raggedy patched over the booths, covering cracks and rips in the vinyl upholstery. On a chalkboard behind the counter, this day's special was written in neat cursive writing. Open-faced turkey sandwich, cob salad, minute steak with mashed potatoes. Otto was the only person inside the diner other than the cook in the back and the waitress reading a paperback book 
behind the counter. A cup of coffee bottom of the barrel slope rested on the table in front of him, steam rising from the cup. He lifted the cup but set it back on the table without drinking from it. He pushed it aside so hard that some coffee slushed out, nervous. He was so damn nervous. After Otto had waited for five minutes, a, gay, a guy walked to the diner. The waitress sat down her paper bag and asked if he needed help, but he ignored her and headed to Otto booth. Otto watched him approach. The man was six and a half feet tall at least with a gray ripped t-shirt hugging tightly against a chest so massive it looked like he had a bulletproof vest concealed under his shirt. His arms were too thick and defined cannons dangling from the body. He was almost bald, but not quite. His nose was mangled, crooked mess. He reached Otto's booth and sat down across from him. Otto nodded at the big guy. Thanks for coming, champ, Otto said. He wordlessly nodded back. His name was Robert Smith. He was a retired heavyweight boxer who transitioned into a life of crime after his career ended, doing dirty work for whoever hired him. As a boxer, he collected a few small purses, but his career ended before he competed for, let alone won. Any sort of championship he had, the petite strength, but not the intangible to go for, despite never having won anything northworthy. He told people to call him champ. And when the guy that big told you to do so, you just did it. You wanted to talk about something, Chimp asked. His voice was so deep, the question sounded like the blurring of a foghorn. Yeah, yeah, I did. So start talking. I got a problem. I need you to take off, Otto said. I figured as much. It's some pretty serious shit. It's all serious to me. You know, I don't play. Otto looked over his shoulder. Empty booths and tables all around. The waitress behind the counter was focused on her book. What I'm about to tell you remains between us, all right? Otto said, turning back to Champ. No shit it does, Champ said. You don't have to tell me that. I know, I know, but I gotta make it perfectly clear. No one can know about this. My lips are sealed. Good. I'll get straight to it then. There's someone who's making my life hell. I need you to kill him for me. Champ's heavy eyes stared across the table. Otto had hired him for jobs before, mostly to talk sense into dealers who were behind on payments. Usually the more sight of Champ was intimidating enough for the problem to be resolved, but things got uglier occasionally. Champ put one guy in a coma for two weeks. Another time, Champ used a baseball bat to break a guy's leg so severely the bones had been damn near pulverized. Murder, huh? Champ said. This won't come cheap. I'm prepared to pay. Who's the target? Otto grabbed a manila envelope resting next to him on the booth. He removed an 8 by 11 inch sheet of paper and slid it across the table. Printed on the sheet was a black and white photocopy of a Michigan's driver license, Devon Peterson, Champ said. Read the name on the license. What's the story about this guy? It don't matter. I need him gone. I want you to do it. That's all you need to do. Devon Peterson. N- name sounds familiar. Suddenly, Champ's dull eyes lit up, a spark of recognition. Wait, a shit. Shit, is this? Yeah, Otto said. It is. How do you get messed up with this guy? Long story. You going to be able to help me out? Champ said the sheet of paper back across the table. I'm passing on this one, he said. You're passing? The hell you talking about? 
Only when the waitress set down her book and looked in their direction did Otto realize how loud his voice had been. Otto raised his hand so to let her know that everything was fine. She eyed them for a second and returned to reading. What do you mean you're passing on this, Otto said, lowering his voice. I'm not fucking with this guy, Champ said. You turned into a Boy Scout overnight. You'd never had problems with shit like this before. This is different. How so? Too much of a risk? It's no more risky than anything you've done for me in the past. That's bullshit and you know it. I got everything you need. I know where he lives. I know when he arrives home every night. I know. Save your breath. I ain't doing this shit. Auto anger crystallized, becoming pure and diamond hard. He took in a deep breath through his... Filling his nostrils with the stale smell of fried food and grease. You gotta help me out here. I'm desperate. The answer's no. Listen, I... Champ cut him off with the wave of a brotherly college hand. Look, homeboy, the police don't care if some lowlife dealer gets murdered in the shit area of the city. A case like that, the investigation lasts for a few days and the cops move on to the next scumbag who gets killed. But if this guy, he tapped the picture on the table, shows up dead, the cops will care. They will look at it and into it hard. And I ain't facing that type of heat for anyone. No way. Champ lumbered out of the booth. My mouth is shut, he said. I ain't mentioning this to no one, but I don't want nothing to do with this. With that, Champ walked across the diner floor. Across, he disappeared outside. Otto looked down at the photocopy driver license and stared at it for a long time. Gary dropped Beth off at her yoga class and drove back across River Falls through working-class neighborhoods filled with the unremarkable houses, unremarkable a fitting description for the city of River Falls itself. It was a drive through city in a flyover state, a once-pound manufacturing city that had seen its population steadily decrease for each of the past five decades as auto plants and other businesses shuttered. With more than 200,000 residents, River Falls was still big enough to have a mall, a airport, and a major chain restaurant. But the malls barely have occupied the Airport had fewer than 10 departures a day, and it had been years since a worthwhile new restaurant had opened. He reached the downtown district, passing a few of the city's essential institutions, which was the post office, the fire department, and the water plant. Half a mile later, he drove past the junior high building where Beth had taught art up until the beginning of the school year when she lost her job in the budget cut that gutted the district. She served as a substitute teacher since then, working no more than a few days a month. Gary finally arrived at the small brick red development that housed their store, a Cision Outerwear. He stayed in his car for a moment, tried to think of how to break the news with best condition to his brother. It was going to be difficult. In some ways, he was closer to Rod than he was to anyone else in his life, Beth included. Ever since they were young, Rod had been the opposite in almost every way imaginable. Gary always felt that the difference between their personalities was why they grew up closer over the years instead of drifting apart. Like siblings, he knew. Rod was impulsive, spontaneous, carefree, everything Gary wasn't. After dropping out of college more than a decade ago, Rod failed and flared his way through life, jumping from job to job, wandering from state to state without even finding any sort of path to pursue. He worked at a ski resort in Colorado, painted houses in New Mexico and Arizona, bartendered in casino in Vegas. There was even a stint in L.A. when he tried to become an actor. 
To Gary, the relationship always felt like more like a father and son relationship than a brotherly one. Rod was rambitious, immature child. Gary, the responsible, straight-faced, straightforward parent who looked over for Rod, cared about him, worried about him constantly. Gary stepped out of the car, still unaware of what to say to his brother. Just be upfront, honest, direct, the same advice he'd given Beth. He walked up to Tzizian Autoware and opened the front door, stepping inside. It was a small, quaint store with narrow aisles cramped with outdoor equipment and clothing, which had sandals and waterproof boots displayed on archaic shelving. Hiking coats and shell jackets hanging on the rolling garments, racks, backpacks, hundreds of other items neatly organized on the white slate panels that covered the store's walls. Look at what the cab dragged in, Rod said from across the empty store. Hey, Rod. Gary paused and he passed the second cash register on the front counter as he approached the shoe display where Rod stood with a small pile of shoes on the ground beside him. At 34, Rod was a few years younger than Gary but looked like a man child. He outgrown his early 20s. He had shaggy blonde hair, uncombed, a tangled mess of curls. His eyes were wide and expressive, the eyes of an overactive teenager. He wore untucked black polo over his khakis. Jesus, man, Rod said, where the hell have you been? I had to deal with some things. You just disappeared. Stop showing up to the store for a few days. I could see me doing something like that. But I thought you were supposed to be the responsible one. Rod chuckled. He grabbed his shoe off the ground and said, nah, I'm just playing with you. Gary, what's going on? I'm just busting your balls, Rob, said. You haven't missed a thing. Want to give me a hand or two or excitement for you? Actually, there's something I want to talk to you about, Gary said. He walked over and placed the shoes next to the few others displayed on a half-empty shelf. He took a deep breath. I'm just going to be open and direct. He turned to Rod. Look, this is not easy for me to say this, Gary said. That phone call that I got the other day, I disappeared. It was from the hospital. Beth collapsed while running some errands. At the hospital, they found that she has a brain tumor. Rod stared back at a daze, blank expression on his face. A brain tumor? Gary nodded. My God, is she going to be okay? It's a pretty aggressive type of tumor. Hard to treat. The outcome look isn't good, Gary cleared his throat. But she's going to beat this. I hope she does. How about the baby? Is he going to be fine? A silent moment paused. Rod's eyes welled and welled with tears. I can't believe this, he said. It's awful, Gary. There's no other spin on cutting this? How's Beth holding up? Rod wiped his eyes, filled with tears, with his sleeve of his shirt. She's strong, man. Heck of a lot stronger than I am. If I had a phone, if I had a brain tumor. How are you taking this news, Rod said? It's tough. I was 21 when I met her. And I'm 39 now. And I don't remember life would be without her. Beth in it if I lose her, man. He paused for a moment. If I lost her, that would be it for me. There's no me from coming back. Rod walked over to his brother. He hugged Gary tight. Gary could feel the raw emotion in his brother's embrace. I'm telling you this right now. I'm here for both of you guys, Rod said. He pulled away and looked at Gary in the eye. Whatever you need me to do, whatever you want, 
If you need something to someone to spend time with, Beth, I'll do it. If you need someone to run errands, I'm your man. Hell, if the doctors need to find a, and do a brain tumor transplant, I'm the one. You could crack over my skull and I'll give her mine, man. A weak smile crossed Gary's lips. I'm serious, Rod said. I owe you guys everything, Rod said. You two have done nothing but great love for me over these years. So much for me. You guys drove me to Colorado when I needed to get that job for the ski resort. Years ago, you and Beth, you constantly loaned me money when I was trying to make it as an actor in L.A., you and Beth. You guys also let me live with you when I moved back from River Falls and I was 30 years old already and I was flat broke. No idea what to do with myself. You and Beth. Time after the time, my dumbass have screwed up. You and Beth have always been there for me. Hell, I wouldn't have met Sarah if it wasn't for Beth. And Sarah's the best thing that ever happened to me. Sarah is now Rod's wife. No matter how many times he heard it, Gary still couldn't get used to the fact that Rod was even married. Sarah's the one who owned the yoga store where Beth goes and practice her yoga. Because Beth had introduced Rod to her 18 months earlier. No one had even expected much from them, but Sarah, because she was sophisticated and so mature and complete opposite from Rod, but instant fell in love with him because of his nice, calm, innocent attitude. They actually accumulated, and the wedding was done in six months. And six meeting Sarah, Rod wasn't th- drinking as nearly much. And he stopped staying out with the buddies until the early morning and hours. He threw himself into the store and regularly put in 24 hours a day and working and working and working. Rod had even started reading a few books of how to run his own business as a business online. And Gary saw that change. He even set up his own eBay store and a few online channels to sell products. Rod had really changed. Maybe it was being married to Sarah, but hey, maybe it was just devotion to the business or maybe it was just a combination of both. Seeing his transformation over the past year, Gary couldn't help but feel like the proud parent of a misfit son who was finally getting his life together. No, but seriously, whatever you guys need, Gary, Rod said, don't hesitate to ask. I might be a little busy, might not be able to devote all my time, and I'm always at the store, but I can hold it down. I can hold it down, Rod said. I take off, so take off as much as you want, brother. Take off as much as you want, Gary. That's what Rod said. Rod hugged Gary tightly again. This will be a happy ending for you guys. Please, please. You and Beth are two of the most best people i ever known, and I'm so grateful for you. There's no way, there's no way that this won't be a happy ending.